Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile Life, the podcast. This is episode 145 called Jody. Today's episode is presented by Belly. Belly offers modern prenatal vitamins optimized for fertility, prenatal, and post-pregnancy health. To learn more about how to optimize your fertility and pregnancy health, check out their vegan-friendly, dairy-free, non-GMO vitamins for both men and women at bellybaby.com. That's spelled B-E-L-I-B-A-B-Y.com. The best part, if you use code Allie15, you'll get 15% off your first month of either Belly Women or Belly Men. Again, that's code Allie15, A-L-I-1-5 for 15% off. Thanks, Belly. All right, guys. So as I've said before, not all of these stories end with babies. And this is one of those stories. So Jody is the amazing woman behind Childless and Confident, her Instagram handle. She's a confidence mentor. She's the creator of Plan B Fabulous Future. And she's just an incredible woman. So she's going to tell us about her story today, how she was diagnosed with early menopause at about 37 or 38, and how she and her husband at the time, spoiler alert, they're no longer together, but she talks about finding a path that shows people that there's great things to experience, there's great happiness to pursue, and just because you don't have a child doesn't mean your life isn't complete. So I hope everybody listens to this one, no matter where they are in their journey. Thank you to Jody for an incredible story and incredible message. And without further ado, this is Jody's infertility story. So my friend Jody, you're calling me from the future, basically, because you are a day, like a day and a half ahead of us, right? In Australia, how many hours? Yes. Uh, so it's quarter past five in the morning on Thursday here in okay. Australia. That's very confusing to my brain, but thank you so much for doing this. I'm so glad we finally connected. We've talked before a little bit for some other stuff, but this is your first time on my podcast. So thank you. Let's start at the beginning with you. Tell me about you as, you know, like a young woman and, you know, thinking about maybe having children or wh- what your life was going to look like as you became an adult. What what did that look like for you? I think for me, I always envisioned that I would have children, but it was not that burning kind of, oh my God, if I don't have children, my life will not be complete. My ethos and I think philosophy as a young adult was, I think it'd be awesome, but I want to make sure that I'm actually doing it with someone that I'd like to be biologically connected to for the rest of my life. For me, you know, I pursued a a fantastic career, still have that fantastic career. And along the way, I, I thought, well, okay, you know, if I meet the right person and things click at the right time and we both have the right ideals and values and things happen, then that'll be great. Mm-hmm. Then life will still be pretty damn fine. So I I travelled around Australia a lot for work along the eastern seaboard. Um, lived in a number of sort of regional places and capital cities to pursue a career in media and communications, and that was awesome. I met some amazing people along the way, and bang! In two thousand and five, I um, connected with a, a lovely man 
in Sydney where I was living at the time and we got married a couple of years later. Both had, you know, really, I guess, what I kind of thought to be at the time, the same ideals about having children. And the ideals were there. There were just, there was a lot of stuff, you know, you don't actually really know someone until you're really, really, really with them. But, you know, we got married. We, you know, had a, a great couple of first years. My cycle went a little bit off. He had some real, I think, fears sometimes around, you know, getting pregnant, having babies, even though he was, you know, in his early 40s. But that, you know, those, I guess, I wouldn't call them delaying tactics. I think it was just, you know, his own fears and issues. So that kind of coincided with my cycle going completely skew-if and my hormones packing up and leaving the building. So what do you mean by that exactly? What happened? <laughs> I should have said that in the Elvis voice, shouldn't I? Yeah. Elvis building, yeah. I love um, it. I went into early menopause at basically sort of age 37, 38. Okay. Which, you know, at the time was devastating. But, and there was there was also, I think, a level of anger and frustration at the hesitation of my now, I may as well drop the bombshell now, my now ex-husband. But, you know, I think when life deals you a couple of lemons and you just feel really quite bitter and twisted about it, all you can do is make lemonade, right? Right. So I had my little grievance kind of time. Um, and I think it, it is like anything that you had in your bucket list or had in your life plan. When it doesn't work out, there is a period of grieving. And I know for some people that might be years and years. And I have no judgment whatsoever. Like I think this is this is deeply personal as a journey and I think different women have different connections and different drivers about having children for me I was really excited about the possibility but I also knew the flip side was whatever the outcome was to be whether I had children or not I would still make live and and continue to dream for an amazing life that had all sorts of other stuff in it Right. So when they gave you that diagnosis of the early menopause, what did they say exactly? Were they like, you're not going to be able to naturally have kids or like, what was the the prognosis? Yeah. So um, the, the period that that happened in our lives, we were living in China of all places um, on a project that my um, husband at the time was working on. And I sensed my cycle kind of going a bit weird. We were coming back to Australia in uh, the November of 2011 and we were going to be in Perth, so on the west coast of Australia, which is not anywhere near our hometowns, but, um, yeah, on the west coast for a conference. Mm-hmm. So I said, right, we're back. I am just going to um, check in with a, a random GP because I don't know anyone in Perth and I'm certainly not going to try and find, you know, a fertility specialist at that time because I wanted to just get a baseline of what was happening. So I went to this lovely GP in the, the CBD in Perth. I said, look, this is what's happening with my cycle. Um, I just, I want to get, you know, a baseline of all my hormone profile and an AMH test, um, which is I think anti-malarian hormone, which is an is one indicator. And God, I've been shot down in flames by so many people going, AMH isn't the only thing that you should look at. And it's like, yes, I know, but there's lots of other hormone stuff that was going wrong at the time. Anyway, right. 
had that blood test, came back. He said, oh, look, the results will take about five or six days, but I'll rush them because I know that you're only here for sort of seven days. Mm-hmm. So we went four days later, I think it was, um, and he said, look, the results are not great. Your AMH level is basically zero mm-hmm. and hormone levels basically indicate that you are, you know, towards the end of perimenopause, potentially in menopause. He said, how long has your cycle been you know, random or um, erratic. And I said, oh, probably the last kind of six months. And he said, well, that's quite precipitous menopause. And I'm like, great. So mm. not only I infertile, I'm precipitous. Right, <laughs> precipitous. Yeah, exactly. And it's sort of like he said, you know, some people, you know, take years to go through menopause and other people, he said, not as common. He said, but it can just happen really quickly. He said, that's, you know, what I would call precipitous menopause. I'm like, okay, great, whatever. Yeah. So, he said, look, you know, from, he said, I'm not a fertility specialist. He said, but I understand what these hormones are saying to me. And really probably your options from here on in would be donor eggs or option. For me, I'm actually adopted myself. So I have no philosophical or any kind of issues with adoption. I think it's an amazing thing, but in Australia, it's really difficult. It is not an easy process. It's not readily available it's deeply, deeply expensive. Um, we kind of went, well, adoption's really kind of not on the cards for us. Mm-hmm. And he, look, he was an, an amazing man because I'm sitting there like tears rolling down my face and I looked across and, you know, there's a photo on his desk of five children. He was just, he was a really beautiful soul. He's, and he kind of looked and he said, oh, look, I'm sorry, I, I should have put that away. And I said, no, no, that's your life. Like, you know. Oh, because this is a general practitioner. This isn't our fertility, right? Okay. No, that's right. No, he was, this was a fertility a doctor. doctor. That would have been pretty gauche. Yeah, exactly. And he said, look, they're really great. He said, but also don't forget, he said, you can have an incredible life no matter what happens. He said, let me just share with you. See that cute one on the end there? That, <laughs> that child destroyed a $5,000 sofa last week with a permanent red texture. <laughs> <laughs> So that was a bit of light in, you know, what was quite a dark moment. And I remember sort of stepping out into the Perth sunshine, which was a, you know, beautiful 32-degree day in, in Perth, and and I just kind of went, well, you know, obviously we need to discuss this a little bit further. I said, but I don't, I, I don't think I want to chase unicorns down rabbit holes. And at that stage, donor eggs in Australia were not as accessible and common as they are now. So I think in that moment I kind of went, I'm just going to have a great life no matter what. Yeah. I'm going to take a bit of time to process this. I'm going to have my dark moments, moments, um, but I'm not going to let them hang around. How did you know, how did you have the wherewithal to do that? Like as a coping mechanism, and I think it's, it would be helpful for people listening because it's so hard when you get bad news at the doctor, you know, fertility related, especially, it's just hard to grapple with it, I think. And I think a lot of people just get so sad and so heartbroken and don't really know what the end result is going to look like. So how did you know to like kind of have your moments and then like think, well, it's my life's going to be beautiful no matter what, because I I love that attitude. Yeah. So I think I was blessed with an incredible um, family, like I was adopted when I was, I think, three or four weeks old, and an incredible family. Both of my parents have now passed away, but um, 
my dad was just this salt of the earth, very mischievous but very grounding kind of soul. He was a farmer, so he just had a very matter-of-fact way of looking at life. And I remember as a child and as a teenager and certainly as a, as a young adult, he passed away, I think, when, oh, that's nearly 20 years ago, so he passed away when I was in my, third, in my early 30s. He said to me, you know what, and he used to call me grub, <laughs> like I grew up on a farm so I was always in the dirt. He said, grub, listen, okay to be sad. It's, that's a perfectly normal emotion. It's part of life. There are things that are going to come and go in your life that are going to make you really sad. He said, but the thing to remember about things that make you sad is that if you have no control over why they've made you sad and you can't change them, how long are you going to let that affect your life? Because you have a great life to live no matter what's happened. He said, so allow the sadness to come and go, but don't let it stick around. He said, because it will hold you back from so many more things that will make you incredibly happy. And they were such wise words, Ali. And they, I mean, they carry yeah. me through everything in this life, I have to say. Yeah, I think that's really brilliant, actually. Brilliant. So what happened next? So we went back to China um, and, you know, going from, and I'm sure people that live in extreme, like Australia doesn't really have extreme climates it just gets quite hot and there's only a couple of places where it gets quite cold right so for me living in China for two years where it was minus goddamn 30 celsius in winter was just it was such a culture shock and climate shock so we went from Perth where it was 30 plus celsius degrees hot summer gorgeous weather back to China the northeast uh-huh. which is not the most glamorous part of China let me tell you right um, and it was winter, you know, we got back and it was minus 25. It was bucketing down with snow. And one of the things that kind of happens to you from a survival technique perspective in China is when it's winter, you become quite, you, you really, I found for me, I really did hibernate quite a lot because the last thing I wanted to do was be out and about in the snow, fall ass up on, on the snow and break an elbow and have to be in a Chinese hospital getting that fixed. I mean, really, can you imagine it? It would be. Yeah. So we went back to China and and I called that our winter of discontent because Mm. it's a bit Shakespearean, doesn't it? The winter of discontent. I like it though. (laughs) So we really, you know, there was no family around. There was no, there was no friends really. Like, I mean, we had expat friends there, but they're not, you know, lifelong friends that you're going to talk about that kind of stuff with. So we really had to face a lot of stuff together and, you know, either rip each other apart or decide to deal with it, let love kind of win and and move on, you know, with happiness. So I think we had a couple of really dark months, literally from a from a, a weather and geographic perspective, but also, you know, emotionally. I think that that was a really fast-tracking part of the process because, there was no, there was nowhere to go with it yet. We had to face it. So, you know, we had a lot of quite tense, quite, um, you know, I call them the come to Jesus kind of meetings where you, you really start being brutally honest with each other in a way that you potentially haven't been before. So we aired all the dirty laundry. We um, decided that we would just get on with having a cracking great life. Um, there were other expat opportunities that we were looking at because the contract in China was finishing at the end of that year. 
so I guess we just found other things to fill our lives. And that, that I think is one of my secrets of how I got on with it. And it's not about finding just anything to fill your life. It's about finding the things that light up your soul. I love that. Yeah. So what lights up your soul, Jody? So for me, it's, it's words and people. I've been in communications my entire career. Um, I think an ex-boyfriend of mine was like, you could talk six foot underwater with a mouthful of socks. <laughs> so specific. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I marry him. Um, I wonder what he's doing these days. Anyway, um, so I think for me, like for me, it's people and words. It's telling stories. It's it's connecting people via great stories, great engagement, and and just I guess traveling the world to tell stories. And obviously, that's come to a bit of a halt in COVID. And you know, certainly before that, I was still very much in a, you know, settled Australian life. But for me, you know, it really is exercising the power of words and experiences to help other people. So as far as you and your husband at the time were, you know, so you're trying to find things that light you up. Had you talked any more about like, we want to try a different route or was it just kind of settled that this was you know, you were going to find the other things to light you up? Like what was your mind? Yeah, I think when we looked at our ages at the time and potentially the time frame in which we would be waiting and wishing and praying and hoping, that's a song, isn't it? Wishing, hoping, praying. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I think when we looked at that time frame and we looked at, our ages because uh, at the time I would have been, I was 39 turning 40 when we came back to Australia. Um, Craig was uh, 44, 45. We just realised that, you know, potentially we'd be looking at a minimum two years, possibly five years for anything to be of any, to get any traction or have any success, whether or not that was pursuing a donor egg path or trying to, you know, fight a a really complex system in Australia to process an adoption. And I think we, at the time, because there were opportunities that we could um, look at for other expat roles, um, there were some things that were coming up in the Middle East. We just kind of went, you know what, this is, these are the cards that life has dealt us right or wrong, circumstances all wrapped in and timing and all of that sort of stuff, this is what it is. So let's just make the best of what we have. And we certainly did that, you know, I mean, a footnote to the story is we've now separated and that's for a lot of reasons other than not having children. But, you know, we just we did just make the best of what we had and, you know, had a great life. Were you pretty much on the same page or I'm sure you probably had to have some deep conversations maybe. I mean, that's, you know, there's a a grieving process and I'd love to talk about that a little bit too. Like, did you grieve maybe what you thought your life could have been and then the pivot that you had to make? Well, like how did that shake out for you mentally and also in terms of your relationship? Yeah, look, I think we had an interesting time coming back to Australia, um, I think that was 2013, we we sort of 
landed in Melbourne. That was the next sort of spot where um, career opportunities were available. And we knew I had friends from sort of previous jobs and and previous chapters of my life. So, you know, we connected into a social circle in Melbourne, of which there was a mix of people that did and didn't have kids. So I think in amongst that is there's that there's that communications process that you go through, which I've got to tell you, I think that is the hardest part of dealing with the grief and dealing with the reality of not having children because it is slapped in your face everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. We live, I, I don't say this with any form of angst or um, malice or anything like that, but we live in a very pronatalist society. Yeah. So everywhere you go, there's, you know, mother-driven advertising communications and ideals that you you go through a period of judgment. You know, like I I went through so many social situations, Ali, where people were like, well, do, do you really think you tried hard enough? You didn't even try IVF. I mean, people actually say that stuff. Can you believe yeah. that? I can't. And how did that make you feel when somebody would say something like that to you? I think because I'd spent a lot of time processing stuff in China. And you got to remember, I'm a communication specialist. I love a good list of key messages. <laughs> yeah. So, so I had really kind of compiled what I call my little, um, you know, arsenal of yeah. responses. Yeah. So I, didn't, I didn't have to think too hard about how I wanted to manage that conversation. And you know, I've worked for politicians, I've worked for CEOs, so I know how to direct conversations and how to teach people to direct conversations. So so what are, what are a couple of the responses that you had in your arsenal? Oh, um, look, there was one, I'll, I'll tell you one funny story. There was a guy that was at a party who was quite drunk he didn't really know me very well. I didn't know a lot of the people at this party very well. There were people and their kids there. And he's like, so how does it feel to be the only one here without kids? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know. How does it feel to be the only one here with a really small penis? Yes. <laughs> and he kind of like was really taken aback, right? Uh-huh. And all of his mates just absolutely pissed themselves laughing. Right. Good. Yes. I said, I don't really know about the size of your penis. I really don't care. But the point I'm trying to make to you is that you actually just said in a very public environment, something that is really deeply personal and quite upsetting for me. Yeah. And, uh, and you said this with absolutely no empathy or understanding of the impact of your words. Right. And I said, so I guess I took on a role of being a bit of an educationalist Mm -hmm. (laughs) kind of, helping other women to not actually be subjected to this kind of stuff. And I just said to him, you know, I'm okay with it. I'm I'm actually quite calm and at peace with the fact that I don't have children. I said, and quite frankly, seeing the behaviour of some of your little mini-me's running around, I'm bloody glad that I don't have any. And, <laughs> and, and I said, but, you know, you've got to be really careful about how you actually say things like this in a public environment. Right. Because if you're saying that to someone who's going through their third, fourth or fifth round of IVF and it's not looking good to be of any sort of success, I said, they're just as likely to stab you in the neck with a cocktail fork, you idiot. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And 
his wife actually came up to me afterwards and she said, look, I'm so sorry. He's such a twat. <laughs> um, I said, look, I'm sure he's really lovable and I'm sure he doesn't have a small penis. I don't really care. But um, I said, you know, he, he just because you guys found it easy to pop out four kids doesn't mean that's the case for everyone else. Sure. I said, and he needs to learn some sensitivities around that. Yeah. I sort of took on engagements like that as a way to educate people that it's not cool to actually come out with comments like that. Right. Did you have people saying stuff like, oh, well, you can have my kids, like things like that as well? Oh, yeah. yeah. And my standard response to that was, uh, yeah, no thanks. Whenever people used to say that to me, I'd, I, I would actually, my response would be, if you realised how hurtful that actually is, you wouldn't say it. Some people would want to explore that a little bit further. And I, again, I would use that as an education process in that, you know, by saying, oh, you can have my kids, you actually are not respecting the fact that you've brought those children into the world and you it's actually been a really easy process for you. It's been an easy ride. Or whether yeah. it has an easy ride or not doesn't really matter, but saying, oh, you can have mine. It's just, it's insulting to people that don't have children. Absolutely. Um, but it's also, I mean, think about how that sounds to a child's ears. Oh, you can have mine. Exactly. Right. I mean, but I, I do think that, you know, before, so I had secondary infertility, as you know, and, you know, with my, with my daughter, it was fairly easy to get pregnant with my son. It was tremendously difficult. And, but I had no idea you know, I would say, you know, I changed as a person and became more empathetic to people who had problems because with the first pregnancy, I really didn't have an idea how many people weren't able to have children or were having a hard time or were using assisted reproductive technology or, you know, treat going through some sort of treatment. I really didn't know. So I think your, your move to educate, you know, is obviously a really good one because I think people just they say the most idiotic things, but I think not to defend them, but I think just some people just don't realize it, you know? And look, I've, I've got friends and they're very dear friends of mine who only had to, you know, in their own words, look sideways at their husbands and they were pregnant. Yeah. But they've probably, two of them have probably been the most empathetic because mm-hmm. they, they can, what, what happens I think sometimes when, things are really easy for some people, they they are quite conscious of how hard it is for others and it gives them more gratitude for the fact that it has been easy for them. But they, this is just my sort of friends in this situation, but I hope it's, it, it is sometimes across the board with lots of others mm-hmm. in that it, it shows them and it, I guess, stimulates the the education process of, you know, maybe it actually isn't this easy for everyone. Right. Yeah. And I think we live in a society as well, Ali, that, you know, it's really only been cool to talk about this sort of stuff, I reckon, in the last 10 years. Up yeah. until then, people suffered in silence. Right. And even in the last three years, I would say it's gotten so much more prevalent and, you know, people are normalizing it even more. Cause when I was going through this, you know, seven, eight years ago, it really wasn't, I still feel like it wasn't talked about that much. Exactly. And I think, you know, for me, obviously, I, according to an ex-boyfriend, I love to talk, um, but 
I, I think, you know, a problem shared and a problem aired is a problem that just becomes, it never becomes easier because the, the logistics and the, the actual, you know, framework of the problem doesn't change just by talking about it. But the heavy emotional burden of it does because you realise that you're not alone. You realise that there are other people, you know, going through a similar journey or treading exactly the same path and you can you can share how you're both dealing with stuff and, and lean into each other and get strength from the way each other deals with stuff. Well, that's one of the reasons why I started Childless and Confident. That's what I was just going to say. I was going to say, speaking of, let's talk about <laughs> your... Instagram, which I love, and you know, just the the important messages that you put out there, the important conversations that you start. It's childless underscore and underscore confident for anybody listening, and I'll put that as well, Jody, in the show notes and the intro, so people can follow you. But tell me about starting this account and what's your goal with it all, and how has it been? So. What I kind of observed when I first started reading different infertility accounts, different, you know, childless accounts, was that I found a couple of years ago, so it's nearly, it's probably two years ago that I started it, I think. I found that there was a really common theme of sadness and happiness about I'm so sad and I don't know how to move on with my life. a child and I don't know what my life's going to look like without a child and I just I don't know I don't know I don't know and that's the cycle that that's the treadmill that they just stayed on and I I guess I I kind of thought like that was 2018 I think I started that maybe 2019 2018 2019 yeah and I just what I I have you know random kind of sad days now and I would say that's maybe one or two days a year and even then it's not even that sad, it's kind of like, oh, look, that would have been nice, but it is what it is and I've got a great life. Look at me go. But I went, you know what, I need to help people find a path that shows them that there is, there's great things to experience and, and there's great happiness to pursue. And just because you don't have a child doesn't mean your life isn't complete. Right. Like, I think that having a child does complete a certain section of your life, but just because you don't have them doesn't mean your life's not complete. Right. One of the posts that you, that really struck me that I think is great was earlier a couple months ago. And it's just this great picture of you. It says the face of a childless woman. And it says, this is the face of a childless woman far from sad. And believe me, there ain't anything bad on this side of the fence. Once you get your toes in the dirt and do cartwheels on the soft grass, it's, (laughs) but then you go on, it's not like unicorns farting rainbows. Unicorns are farting rainbows in my life every day of the week, but it's pretty damn close because that's the way I choose it to be. So I think it's really cool that you're putting this message out there. You know, there's, there's a whole community of, you know, people who are childless, not by choice, living child-free, which brings me to another question in terms of the terminology, what do you prefer? I know it's, it can be a little bit controversial because you don't want to say, the wrong thing, but what do you what do you like to use when talking about you know? And- yeah, I I don't feel I know that there is I guess a conversation and a vernacular that there's people that say, oh you know, childless just has such a negative connotation to it, and that's cool. That's their opinion. I probably position myself as yes, I am childless. I did want to have a child, so I am childless, but I'm childless living a child free life. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
And I think the positivity of talking about what's possible when you don't have children, because just as there are a number of things that in inverted commas, you might feel like you've missed out on because you didn't have children at the same time, you know, flip it on its, you know, flip it on its axis. There's a whole lot of things that parents miss out on as well because they have children. Totally. There was, um, you know, you probably know Melissa and Eric Jones who are living. I love, love Melissa and Eric. Me too. I love them. So they were on my podcast. They recently spoke at Fertility Rally Live as well. They were on our couples panel and they're just wonderful. And, you know, she recently posted pictures of their trip to Hawaii. And it was basically like, if we had kids, we wouldn't be on this trip right now. You know, so I love that. I love that they, you know, that's, that's their, the takeaway and that's the message. And look, that's, that is, uh, I guess, an ethos that I live on a daily basis in that I kind of go, there's so many things that I do. So uh, the work that I do in Australia at the moment, I work with an industry body that supports the food and fibre industry in um, southeastern Victoria, which is a beautiful pocket of Australia that is, you know, massive vegetable producers, lots of dairy, lots of food and, and fibre production. So I spend a lot of time on farms with people at all hours of the day, you know, learning about what they do, telling their story. If I had kids, I would not have the opportunity to immerse myself in this incredible environment. So I I always think, you know, when I'm, you know, sitting on a fence trying to look cool in my R.M. Williams, no, just kidding, um, <laughs> sitting, on a fence, sitting on a fence trying not to fall backwards into cow poo, which I have done before, which was really elegant, I kind of go, you know what, if I had kids, you know, I couldn't probably be here at 4.30 in the afternoon chatting to this farmer about the, you know, four 400 head of sheep that he's shearing tomorrow and and having an incredible, and because I was able to catch him at the end of the day, you know, he's in a spot that he can tell me more stuff, that I can get a better story, that I can get lots of different angles, but I can also really delve into him as a person and we can get to know each other. Right. With kids, if it was 4.30, I'd probably have to be home getting them from daycare or picking them up from school or whatever. So I think for every dull side of the coin, you just got to flip it over and go, wow, there's actually a really shiny side here and I'm going to enjoy it. Yeah. I want to ask you too, Jody, about that term, which it really does bother me, speaking of vernacular, you know, when people say they were, they're giving up, you know, like trying to have kids and then they give up. So I was talking to Ruth Corden. Do you know her? Oh, I love Ruth. Yeah. Yeah. She also <laughs> has been on my show and she was great. But she, she pointed that out to me that she was like, it's not giving up. It's like pivoting. It's, you know, changing course. And I thought, yeah. When we say giving up, it's got such a negative connotation. And I don't like for people to feel like they've given up or they've failed. I'm curious your thoughts on that. So for me, I never, ever thought that I gave up. What I flipped the words to be was I'm giving in to embrace what's next. And what's next is going to be plan B, fabulous, freaking amazing. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Well, one of your posts, you were like, if plan A doesn't work, there are 25 more letters of alphabet to work through. <laughs> yes. yes. I love I that. Me, 
For me, you know, Plan B Fabulous is kind of my go-to for a lot of things. And I I love to kind of live life with a lot of positive sayings. And, you know, one of them is my glass is not just half full, it's bloody flowing over the top. Because I, I think life is just too short to worry about what you think you've missed out on and to 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 dwell over what you make up in your head as the impact of that. You know, like we we find, I think, in, in this childless um, environment where people are, are dealing with the, the various stages and the various impacts of, of what happens when, you know, there is that realisation that you're not going to have kids, people on already immediately jump to the, oh, what's going to happen when you're old? Who's going to look after you then? Like, right. For God's sake, that's 40 years away. Live right. now. Like live now, live now and enjoy your life now because, you know, there are no guarantees. I am going to a memorial service on the weekend for a very dear friend and and sort of a a business kind of like I know him through my my work. His wife passed away very suddenly and unexpectedly three Saturdays ago. Mm, I'm sorry. Uh, But but you know what? I, I mean, it's incredibly sad and it, it is such a massive loss, but you know what it is as well? It is a wake-up call from the universe to not dwell on stuff that you can't change because tomorrow is not guaranteed. And if you're sitting around being sad about the fact that you don't have kids, what happens if you find out tomorrow that you've got six months to live and you've spent the last three years grieving about the fact that you don't have kids? What a waste. Yeah, yeah. I know that, I mean, people sometimes get frustrated with me because I kind of go, I don't think you you need to sit in sadness forever. Mm-hmm. And for some people, you know, that's where they want to be. That's fine. I'm not judging that. But I just think we we don't have an infinite number of years on this planet. Yeah. And I'm not obsessed with going, right, well, I have to leave some sort of mark or some sort of legacy or blah, 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 because I don't have children. Like I'm not out to prove anything in that way. What I'm out to prove, though, is that it's a damn short life, so you've got to live every day with with happiness and passion and joy. And and if you allow things that you have no control over to dominate any level of those things being in your life and reduce them, then, God, it's just, I, I, I just, for me, time is too short, life is too short, you just got to get on with living. Life is short and for me... You know, I I wouldn't say I get frustrated, but I I just I feel so much empathy, and, and I just want to hug people that are sitting in sadness for not having children because it's not the end of the world; it's just the start of another chapter. I love that. You know, I feel like sometimes people who I've talked to are just kind of waiting for permission. You know, because society is so focused on you know your life should be like this, and like you said pronatalist and people should have kids and, you know, like that's just the way it should go. But point being for someone who's listening, who's kind of maybe wants to make that decision, but isn't sure, what would you say? I would say that if you are in a point of an infertility journey that is not going well and your emotional bandwidth is stretched to a point that you are thinking, I need to get off this treadmill, but I feel so much pressure. 
whether it's family, whether it's society, whether it's community, doesn't really matter. You need to do what is right for you and not listen to what I can sometimes call propaganda, but I think it's if you feel in your heart that you're done, then be done. Mm-hmm. And and really look at the future with a positivity that everything is actually going to be okay. And, in fact, I mean, this is something I say a lot, I consoled myself with the fact that everything was going to be okay and then I realised, no, no, it's actually going to be better than okay. It's going to be bloody plan B fabulous. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Jodi, I love you. You're such an incredible woman. Guys, definitely check her out on Instagram at childless underscore and underscore confident. I know she would not mind if you reached out to her with any questions or want bits of advice, but whether you're pivoting towards that route or not, I just think she's got such an interesting message and attitude. So thanks again to Jody. Also, please check out Fertility Rally, guys. This is the community that Blair and I have created and it's growing and growing and our family is just getting stronger. Nobody needs to go through this alone. So come and join us. We've got so many support groups. We have two weekly support groups. We have private Facebook groups. We have IRL events. We have virtual events. So much stuff going on. Just a ton of support. There's definitely going to be somebody in this group that's going through what you're going through, if not more than a handful of people. We have hundreds of women from around the world and we're all here to support each other and lift each other up. So check us out at fertilityrally.com and on Instagram at fertilityrally. You can always reach out to me if you have any questions, but we would love for you guys to become part of the family. All right. I will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening.